0: The football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. While I've got you, you can sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including magazine style features, breaking news, opinion pieces, and on location stories for every U.S. men's World Cup qualifier. That's grantwall.com to get all my posts in your email inbox. Really do appreciate your support with that. In our first segment, Chris Whittingham and I will talk about global soccer news. The second segment will be my interview with Jasmine Baba, a German-based soccer consultant. I think you'll really like that one. And in the third segment, we'll talk about the MLS playoffs and the U.S. women's national teams win in Australia. Let's bring in Whitty. How are you, Chris? Doing
1: all right, sir? Feasting on football as ever over the course of Thanksgiving. I, I, By the way, new Thanksgiving tradition, low-key, Thanksgiving Europa League. I kind of enjoy it. It's like it's there. It's on in the background. Maybe the Lions game is boring. Flip on yeah. some, some Thanksgiving Europa League. It's been fun.
0: You know what? I, I, it's always interesting to me. Like It always seems to be the week of Thanksgiving, a Champions League Europa League week in Europe. And so there is that. And then this year also there was the MLS playoff game, uh, which was a new thing. I'm curious to see if they do that again in the future. Colorado going down the number one seed in that one to Portland. We'll talk about that in segment three. But yeah, I had a a good week. I didn't totally take the week off. We did take off the podcast for Thursday, as I'm sure y'all noticed, but figured it was worthwhile to do that. And then uh, I I didn't cook this year. For Thanksgiving, usually I do. Yeah, um, we don't do Thanksgiving turkey. We do Thanksgiving lobster. When I cook in this household, wow. Yeah, are, are, are you are you anti turkey? I am kind of. I mean, like not like like it's fine. It's you know, but like if I'm gonna cook it, it's a lot of effort to go to, and I think lobster is much less effort, nice reward, um, hmm. and i i like that because i'm the cook in this house and it's it's just not i don't want to be cooking all day um and so for something for
1: something you don't enjoy as much yeah that's actually that's that's a good shout and i I, it makes me want to spend thanksgiving at the wall household
0: hey thanks i appreciate that you know (laughs) we'll, we'll have to do that sometime it's uh i i really do enjoy uh most holidays we were actually up uh, two hours north of New York in in the Hudson Valley this week, mm. so it, it was pleasant. Um, and uh, but you know, back home now, a lot of soccer this weekend, a lot to talk about. Um, let's start with uh, well, first off, how was your Thanksgiving?
1: My Thanksgiving was great. I actually spent it in a uh, cabin in the Tennessee mountains. And so, uh, yeah, we were we were kind of out and about. It was like particularly cold in a couple of days. But nice uh, traditional Thanksgiving. There was a fire. I've I being from South Florida, uh, never had you know a fire on Thanksgiving. Never kind of had like done it traditionally, and uh, we, we we had a great time. That's cool, man. We had a fire as well, um,
0: and. Uh my clothes got very smoke-smelling mm. <laughs> afterward. That was the only downside.
1: It F- feels like you didn't, because like my, my clothes, like we, my my sister-in-law Serena is tremendous with the fire, and so we, we didn't, <laughs> I didn't have any I didn't have any problem with smoke. So uh, it was all it was all done appropriately. <laughs> Although actually, so my dad tried it at the beginning. The smoke detector went off. Then we had to get the expert in, and so yeah. uh, from from there, smooth sailing.
0: Always good to have experts. Do you know before we get to the soccer that I am an Eagle Scout, and yet the one thing I'm terrible at. Is building fires really? So what? You, so what? What is like your Eagle Scout skill? I have lots of Eagle Scout skills. Uh, camping in general, minus mm. building fires, even with um, flint. I, yeah, I don't, that whole thing with starting a fire, I, I, it's just not, <laughs> I, not me. So
1: I, I, I never did any of the scouts of any kind. The only thing I know about starting fire is from watching Survivor. And when Jeff Probst hands the thing a flint, saying, and now you have fire in the form of flint. And I'm like, I wouldn't know what to do with flint. I guess before I went on Survivor, I would Google how to start a fire with flint. But I, I, if you just handed me flint, I don't know if I'd, I'd know what to do with it.
0: Jeff Probst, not an Eagle Scout, by the way, Chris. <laughs> wow just just so you know um no i can tie the knots i can do mm. the mile swim at least i used to be able to uh i was the camp marksman mm. uh on the rifle range back wow. in
1: kansas so so could could, um, could you could you work your way around a rifle now do you think
0: oh yeah now okay. i'm good with rifles not so much shotgun um but yeah i grew up doing all that stuff man Bo- boy scouts i really enjoyed i had a good time Boy yeah. Scouts.
1: Never, never tried the Boy Scouts. That was that was not something that ever crossed paths in my childhood. Perhaps a a, a regret of mine.
0: <laughs> okay, well, if you ever want to go camping, Chris, <laughs> yes. yeah, we we can record the I, podcast. Honestly,
1: before this conversation, I never would have thought that you'd be my first call, but now you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive in. Segment one: We got European soccer to talk about here. Man United get a one-one at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. To start, what I guess, I've seen people call it the post-Ole era. I don't know, by the way, if Ole himself deserves to have an era called after him. Um, but Rolf Rangnick is the interim manager. He has yet to join the team yet. Michael Carrick is the pre-interim manager. Um, <laughs> though you can be fairly certain, I think, that Carrick and Rangnick did talk Um, before this game and you know Man United's been reeling obviously that's why they made the change and they get a result here the big decision Cristiano Ronaldo not starting in this game and that certainly makes for an interesting conversation I do get into that with Jasmine Baba as well in our segment two interview but wanted to get your sense on what you thought this signaled about Ronaldo not starting
1: well Well, it sort of depends on if Ralph Rania continues that once he does eventually take charge. But I do think that it was, at the very least, Michael Carrick recognizing a problem, which is that going away to Chelsea, who have been sensational this season, I I heard a stat that Arlo White gave out during the broadcast. like, what? All season long before today, Chelsea had given up one open play goal in the Premier League. Right. That's crazy. And so you know going into it's going to be tough to score and Chelsea have been rampant just in terms of getting goals from a bunch of different areas. They were amazing in midweek against Juventus. And so Carrick identifies that and goes, well, we need to be more defensive and throw another number into midfield, which if you think at like, who are the most talented players, who are the best players at Manchester United throwing Matic, McTominay and Fred out there as your three man midfield does not inspire a lot in terms of, well, this is going to be a team that's going to go and do things, but for the job that was required, I think it signaled that Michael Carrick recognized a need for balance in this game through Bruno Fernandes up top as a false nine. Not that he did a ton, but at the very least, it was a recognition. All right, we have a balance problem. But I'll be curious if Ralph Rodney continues to think about that, whether or not he'll use those pieces in that way. The German pressing system is 4-4-2, diamond pressing attacking. Do you have the horses in the Manchester United camp to run that system? I don't know. But I think in the overall... Ronaldo as super sub, I think, is where his future at the, at this level is. Now, if you want to go to MLS, you start him and you build a team around him. But at this level, playing for Manchester United, a team with Premier League and Champions League aspirations, you have to use him in this role. Otherwise, I don't think you can build a functioning team around it.
0: Yeah. I had a tweet I put out earlier today. And I realized Ronaldo is, what, 36, almost 37? Is that it? Yeah. Um, and... And yet his whole persona is tied to fitness and being fit, supremely fit, superhuman fit. And so this assumption that Ronaldo's not capable of pressing, um, I get that he can't do it for 90, but you certainly would hope that he can do this given his fitness levels. Because if you're going to bring in Rolf Rangnick, the the pure form of uh, of pressing out there, along with Jesse Marsh maybe, um, I, Ronaldo's got to be willing to do that when he's on the field. And you have to have all your guys be willing to do that. And I still think it's not just about him being physically capable. I think he is physically capable of doing that for at least 30 to 45 minutes.
1: Well, I, I'm looking at his number. Like I, I've, I've brought up these numbers before, the stats bomb right. numbers that are on football reference. Per 90 minutes, he averages six pressures per game or, or right. six pressures, you know, over the course of a 90 minutes. Like he doesn't do it. And Gary Neville has talked about when 2007 Ronaldo didn't do this when he was at Manchester United he's never been a guy that's been a part of a forward press and I mean maybe that is something to do why I mean in in some ways Ronaldo has not won the number of league titles that you would have expected for a player of, and that sounds ridiculous to say but you know Barcelona won a lot of league titles while he was at Real Madrid they won a lot more Champions leagues and in those settings maybe that's where kind of his skills shine but I, I do think that it's hard to build, and it's increasingly more difficult to build a, a, a pressing model around it. It's why the Radnick question is so interesting, right? Because there, are, it's not just Ronaldo, by the way. There are a bunch of players that don't really do their fair show of work up top. And when you compare it to the team in blue in Manchester, every player in that team does a ton of work. And they're also amazing on the ball and create chances and score goals. So it, there's almost no excuse now to not be able to do those things. I think PSG have a similar problem. But i I just don't know if any manager and especially one like I think we as. I'll call myself a soccer dork. You can agree with yourself as a soccer dork if you choose to, but like we respect Ralph Rognick, but I don't think if you look at his Wikipedia page and say, hey, Cristiano Ronaldo, you're going to do things my way. If Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't go, wait, who are you? What have you done? What have you achieved? Why am I listening to you? Why am I working hard for you? Like I I do think that you have to carry a certain amount of credibility and I don't know if Rognick is necessarily that guy. It is interesting,
0: and and I don't want to overdo it right now because we haven't Good discussion with Jasmine on this coming up, but um, I think the the best things, the most weighty things that were said about Rangnick were said this week by Jurgen Klopp, who said this is going to make Manchester United very difficult to play against. Jurgen Klopp obviously has been influenced by Ralph Rangnick, and so um, you know coaches who have been influenced by him know what he's about. It's a little bit like Marcelo Bielsa before Bielsa came to the came to England in some ways just tremendously influential and so this is going to be really interesting because Man United as a club has made a very strong decision here um i guess it's possible because this is an interim situation with Rangnick but like he has this as part of his agreement to have a consultancy role in the years after this, that's why he wants this, um, that if he's going to bring that Man United into the modern game, um, there's, a, there's not just Ronaldo, but a few guys who don't fit in very well with this in the current Man United setup. So from a human interest, drama, potential drama standpoint, I think this is going to be fascinating.
1: Well, and I think similar to Bielsa, he is kind of an ideologue about the way that he's run things, right? Because, I mean, in some ways, someone with his pedigree could have run something bigger than Hoffenheim, basically a startup team, could have run something bigger than Leipzig, basically a startup team. But I think he specifically chose those because he can form every single aspect of the club. And you wonder politically, how do you operate within Manchester United, both in terms of other... People at boardroom level, Sir Alex Ferguson, who's got his thoughts, who's kind of still involved. A lot of people, I imagine, that are pretty strong-willed about what they think about football. And then on a playing level, as a manager, going to players that have done a lot in the game, that have done a lot for Manchester United, and saying, "No, your your way not good enough. We're doing things my way." Like, I wonder how he operates, and also stylistically, I don't. I mean, in some ways, the old English style is a little bit, you know, high pressing, direct, long balls. Like, but. I don't know if specifically the way that he coaches has ever really been tried at this high of a level in the Premier League. So I'd be curious how that goes as well. There's, as you said, a lot of narrative drama that's really interesting. I think he's going to be making some big decisions here. Where we go, wow, he sat Bruno Fernandes for five straight games or Ronaldo for five (laughs) straight games. You're going, wait, this is how he's going to run things. He's going to go out doing things his way. I wonder what the lasting legacy of this is going to be.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be really interesting. Can't wait to follow it. Uh, You did mention PSG, and and I do want to talk about that to an extent here. Uh, They got beat by Man City midweek in Champions League, and it's pretty clear at this point, somewhat similarly to the Will Ronaldo press situation, it's pretty clear now that PSG's front three will not. And for a club that is very clear about what it wants to achieve, it wants to win Champions League, can they win Champions League? Can they, you know, can, can they be the best club in the world in the modern game if their front three doesn't really defend much?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I just think it's an outdated model. It's like a Galacticos model. It's, it's, you know, what Real Madrid did in the 2000s, just put all the best players together. I mean, today, they play with the three of them and Di Maria, in in Ligue 1, and they beat Saint Etienne 3-1, but they kind of you, you find themselves, you know, behind one 0 quite a bit in the French league. And I know, you know, I think the French league is better than people discuss it as, but I, I just don't know if this model of throwing these guys together, like I don't view them as legitimate threats to win the Champions League. And it's crazy wow. to say that when they have those three guys in theory in a knockout tie, they can beat anybody. But I just don't, I, I don't watch them and go, this is definitely a team that is going to be better than Bayern Munich and and Manchester City and Chelsea. Like, I think those three teams are a significant step above PSG. And I don't know how they solve this problem because all three of those teams have solid defenses and attacks going forward and all 11 guys work. And you can see the team concept. And I just think that PSG have only exacerbated this problem by throwing Messi into the mix, which, again, sounds ridiculous, but... It just is. like, And if you look at, I, I'm looking at that same pressing data, Mbappe and Messi are in the bottom 10 percentile. Neymar actually does his fair share of work hmm. uh, when you, in, in comparison to other forwards. So he's the only one that kind of makes it work. But there are these still images of Man City against PSG, and Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe are stood on the halfway line. And I, I don't think that works anymore. I, I just don't. Like, maybe in a bygone era where, you know, like, tactically, not every piece was thought of as... Expertly as it is now by Guardiola and Tuchel and Nagelsmann and all these incre- Klopp and all these incredibly smart managers that use all eleven players, maximizing all. Like maybe the game was played differently in a different era. I just don't think in this era that you can survive playing that way. And honestly, I think part of Pochettino, maybe even thinking about going back to Manchester United while he's in the PSG job is, I'm not managing the way that I want to. And I think you saw with the way that Tuchel jumped from PSG to Chelsea, he wasn't managing the way that he wanted to. You're adjusting to these incredible talents and fair enough, but I don't think you can maximize a team with those guys playing that way.
0: No, it's a great point. I'm not ready to go as far as you are by saying that you don't think PSG is a legitimate threat to win Champions League because I think they have so much individual talent that we've seen games, including in Champions League, when they have shown that is enough. Is it enough over a a bigger period of games and all the elimination round games that are going to be coming in the spring? Maybe not. But I, I, I'm not ready to write them off as a legitimate contender. I do feel, though, that when you do compare PSG to Chelsea, for example, I came out of that midweek game uh, just you know total domination over Juventus, but just tremendous defense again where Chelsea has the best defensive goals allowed record in both the Premier League and the Champions League. And that's... Not by coincidence. And and so too often we don't pay attention to that side of things. And it's so freaking important. And I think also, too, the way Liverpool's playing right now is just tremendous. And that includes in Champions League. They're perfect in Champions League. So is Bayern. So is Ajax, by the way, which I, I think maybe isn't getting enough attention. And and so you come away from it thinking those teams, maybe the Ajax, but like, even though I'd love to see them go deep. I, 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 feel, I feel better about Liverpool and Chelsea and Bayern winning Champions League than I do PSG. All right. Good stuff, Chris. You'll be back in segment three. Now is my interview with Jasmine Baba. Our guest now comes to us from Frankfurt, Germany. Jasmine Baba is a football consultant, fixer and tactics analyst. Jasmine, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for bringing me on. I'm looking forward to discussing topics today.
0: There is a lot to discuss, and we'll get to it in one second. Um, I just want to start, though, by asking you, what do you do for a living when someone asks you that question?
2: Uh, So... Like on the record, my job title in German is Wissenschaftliche Mitarbeiterin. Quite a mouthful. It actually means and translates to um, re- scientific researcher. And I just want to clarify, I'm nothing of the sort. <laughs> I'm not scientific. I, I do research, yes, but not in the same way someone may think so. Um, I, and it's really vague. So I do a lot of things. Um, I'm a jack of all trades. So, for my job, I mostly do tactical analyst reports and also some scouting reports, and also that includes stuff like research into contracts, contract dates. Um, We're really looking for good fits for clubs and individuals, but I also do this on more of a consulting side, so seeing if an individual fits a club or vice versa. And also tactical reports are around there
0: okay it's really interesting do you Do you work for a lot of different clubs? do you work for a, a small number of of entities? How does that work
2: so it's basically I get given um, a brief and then I will go and fill out that brief and it will be it could be for a club, it could be for media, it could be for um, individuals um, all around that um, type but for my consulting, I only work with individuals, and individuals I know well, because that's the only way I can work with people in that sort of way. Um, I'm a very um, different character in the football industry, so I like to know work for people I know on that side.
0: How did you get to Germany?
2: So, I've always loved football, and everyone told me I could write pretty well about the game itself. Um, I've always written here and there about football for the, around the last 10 years or so. And I loved analysis, but I couldn't really always write what I saw. I've always lacked the words. Um, and I was an editor at the time in England, a sports editor, but I... It was mostly football, but I always wanted to go just into football. And it wasn't until the first lockdown I started to learn more about the analysis side how professionals do it, and I could quickly see patterns. My brain works in a way that if I see a pattern, I remember it. And it turns out I'm quite good at tactical analysis for that reason. So it was really easy to learn from um, how professionals learn about phases of the game, aspects such as triggers, position, tactics, formations, you name it. And the next thing I did was started to network. Um, There were a few people who followed me because of the writing I had done before and some more articles. I started to nail that down a bit more, especially in stats and, and technical analysis. And I realized that around July, August, because I was becoming really restless in the UK, I was going towards the more journalistic side, but I was questioning myself to say, oh, am I actually up for this? Am I really doing this? And it turns out, no, I wasn't. Um, It didn't feel right. And even though I was getting offered roles in reporting, I just didn't feel like that was the right way to go. Um, And a lot of avenues from there closed down. It wasn't as much I was gonna be making. Um, It wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. Um, So I started to walk towards what I was doing before in analysis and most of the contacts I had, including my boyfriend, um, were German. And I thought I had this thought that I could start myself over in Germany. And I was kind of rushed to a decision because of Brexit was coming later that year. And I was like, if I don't do this now, I probably won't be able to in a couple of months. And I've never really looked back because the work culture here is a lot better. I feel that female representation and um, POC representation in football here is a lot more clearer. You see it on the benches more, especially in the first three leagues. Um, so yeah, I just never looked back from that point.
0: That's awesome. Congrats. Um, Thank you. I- I'm always fascinated by German football culture. I've spent a fair amount of time there over the years Um, and we'll get into a little bit more of kind of your story a little bit later on here but I do want to get into some specifics because we actually have news breaking essentially as we record this on Friday uh, that uh, that Ralph Rangnick uh, maybe I don't know if he's been officially announced yet to Manchester United but um, as interim manager in what sounds a little bit like he might be like a director of football or at least a very influential figure after the interim manager part. And, and Ralph Reinick is such an influential figure in German football and coaching over the last 20, 30 years. What are your thoughts on this?
2: I honestly thought I'm trying not to laugh I'm trying to be serious but I honestly thought that um, Manchester United weren't that smart in and <laughs> Me if too. We, like if we're being honest if we look at that at like the last few years the way that they've handled managers that could have been good the way that they tried to find a fit but never could we know that their problems go past a the manager they need a complete a restructuring complete restructure and if you want someone to do that it's someone like Ralph frank that you want to give it to who's built the rb global brand by himself um starting with rb salzberg back in i think 2011 um and to be honest it's it could be very good as it, if you say it and if it's to be believed that he does six months as an interim manager and then given director of football something thereabouts, sporting director, and how much freedom the Man United board and the Glazers will actually give him to restructure that club. Um, so it could be very good, but if anyone knows how um, explosive Ralph Ragnick can be, it can either go very good or very bad very quickly. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what is fascinating about this prospect to me is this is a figure who wants control, who wants to have a, an enormous influence on whatever project he's working on and will have extracted, I would guess, the the promises from Man United officials that he can do this. But if it does not go the way he... Wants it to, then it, yeah, it, it does feel like it could blow up potentially. Like, it, I almost feel like this could be spectacularly successful or a spectacular <laughs> failure.
2: Honestly, is there is no, yeah, there is no in between with him. Um, if we see the six months he had in his second spell at Schalke, um, they beat into Milan in the Champions League in the quarterfinals and then met Man United in the semi finals, got beat by them. Um, but to get that team into Semi-finals of the Champions League. Um, I think it was with Laul at the time as well, um, and then they also won the DFB Pokal. That was massive. That's one of the titles he's won as a coach. So he shows that he can do it in a short space of time in, as an interim manager. So that could even be good for Man United's Champions League la- latter stages. But like the big problems I can see is obviously if he moves up to director of football, if the Glazers give him freedom to restructure the club but as an interim manager if everyone will back his decisions that could be unconventional Um, if Ronaldo does not work for him and work in the structure that he lays down he will bench him, he will bench Pogba, he will bench Ronaldo. Um, he's willing to take those risks. It's if everyone around him is so willing to do so.
0: I do think also too, if you could explain a little bit of sort of what Rangnick's philosophy is, because it's a very distinct one. Not all, you know, A lot of our listeners are American, maybe aren't totally familiar with his history and uh, how he's influenced other top managers today. And also, even some Manchester United fans, judging from my Twitter responses yesterday, were like, "Well what, what, you know, why should we hire this guy if he's with locomotive Moscow you know, like stuff like that like but if you could like explain a, a bit more about Rangnick and his philosophy
2: um so over here he's nicknamed as the professor. It was given to him as a term of sarcasm at the time he was coach in ninety nine um, or 98, 99 with Um, who were in the third tier of football over here and it was basically after a tv uh, interview with him where he kind of explained his tactics with a board and everything so everyone took the mickey out of him basically um but he started to go from club to club improving them getting them promoted to a point where it was we cannot not look at this guy anymore in terms of choosing him for our future. So he got um, promoted with Hanover. Um, He had a short spell with Stuttgart that was so short, he couldn't really do anything. Um, I think he got them into the UEFA Cup at the time, but then also finished 16th, so was sacked. Um, And then, you know, he started doing the Schalke role. It's normally short-lived roles that he has done. And it wasn't until after that Schalke role, RB asked him to build up their club and his philosophy and he's taken this without with him from club to club he likes to be very aggressive thinks it's more about tactics and the man coaching rather than their technical ability almost so if they're prepared to press up high win um make sure you win the ball no buck backwards passing as we've seen um as the very well, um, keyword buzzword is thrown around, tiki-taka. It's kind of the opposite. It's making sure you win the ball back, push, press high, the kind of explosive counter-attacking football that we know and love. And in his time and in his jobs, he's taught so many great managers. We've seen Thomas Tuchel um, I'll go through the English ones first because they'll all be in the same league now. So Thomas Tuchel is a student, Jürgen Klopp is a student, Ralph Hasenhüttl is a student. And then you've also got Julian Nagelsmann, Jesse Marsh, in, both back in Germany, um, all adapting his style, or all using his style. And how they've become such great managers is from him.
0: It's interesting, though, because one of the storylines with Leipzig this season under Jesse Marsh, the American coach, has been it's been a departure from Nagelsmann tactics when he was there last year. And the way Marsh has sort of explained it is, and this is from his perspective, is that it's more about like a pure Red Bull philosophy in his mind in terms of press, press, press. That he feel, feels like Nagelsmann last year got away from that a little bit. There was um, more more possession, more positional play. Um, it like is who's more like Rangnick, Marsh or Nagelsmann?
2: I would definitely say Marsh in terms of actual play. Um, you're completely correct there, and it's a reason why RB Leipzig is struggling so much this season. It's the It's the um, change in the transition from going back to that more positional, um, more possessional and using positional play compared to that RB blueprint of the aggressive press, the the speed, the having all this energy all this time. And it's really hard to go and play two years under a possessional based style football and change that and ramp it up especially if you don't really buy the players for it or the players aren't ready for it. And that is definitely one of the reasons why Leipzig have not really been the Leipzig we've seen of the last two years. So, yeah, that is definitely a problem for them as a whole right now and where they want to go in the future.
0: And I guess if I would carry over how you're seeing this Leipzig transition this season and the challenges they've had to Manchester United and what they're about to now experience uh, under under Rangnick, like, do you th- see him being sort of like full Rangnick, like, this is how we're going to do it? And do you see Ronaldo, like, <laughs> who's like the most obvious example, I guess, Do you see him, like, trying to play this way at at the start? Or do you see him sort of bristling and just being like, nah, that's not me at this point. I'm in my, you know, I'm in my 30s. You see my stats. I don't run.
2: I think the good thing about Ragnik and Ronaldo is that they're both winners. Um, And I think that might be the way you convert Ronaldo to the style or even try. His um, time of doing this might be limited. It might be that you use him for 60 minutes instead of the full 90 if you want to play this way um, can it also go the other way do I think Ronaldo might not be up for it in the same way possibly These are. I think there might even be bigger problems than um, Ronaldo I think there might be a problem with the likes of Harry Maguire who everyone has picked on in the, the last few games um, and it's it's wondering if those types of characters, the more ever-prone types of characters, can actually keep up with this intensity, really, and if they are going to make mistakes trying to rush out and try this new style. Um, but yeah, you can see the kind of teething problems there, but I I wonder if it's actually better for the majority of Man United players.
0: Interesting. Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about Germany this season, and, and I'm wondering, what are some of the storylines that are most standing out to you in Germany?
2: Oh, it's, I'm getting a bit bored by it because it's mainly COVID. It's something Uh to do with COVID. It's, I mean, uh, the last week or two, we've probably had the biggest scandal in uh, German football since... uh, Maybe the match-fixing between Paderborn and Hamburg of 2004 or Christoph Downs Dahm, um, cocaine use of early 2000s as well. All of those, okay, the match-fixing one, it actually affects other people. Downs one affected himself. Um, but, Marcus, Amfang, the now ex-coach of Werder Bremen um, using a fake vaccination passport is is huge um it's been going on for weeks after we've had the kind of headlines of which players have been vaccinated which haven't once germany moves its rules to recovered or um vaccinated who's going to be affected by the rules and we've just had a month of that basically so from a month of that up until uh, a football coach has used a fake vaccination passport and got found out it's those are the main storylines, which is kind of sad because I mean, we get such great things in German football. Um it's always like a title race, it's always quite close until the end of the season. We always get some sort of innovation in football that someone else is trying to use a new tactic or something or the other. But this year it, this season has just been solid COVID big storylines.
0: I mean, there's also the Bayern Munich situation. Um and, you know, with COVID in the sense of Joshua Kimmich is a guy who's, you know, come out at, at one point saying he wasn't vaccinated. Uh, more recently, he's gotten COVID. A couple other players with Bayern Munich as well. And from what I'm reading, the club feels like they can actually dock the pay of players for when they're suspended or are not available due to covid reasons can they really do that
2: um i believe so so in the state of buyer um there is legislation that says that if you miss work through quarantine that you could have avoided from being vaccinated um your employer is allowed to keep pay okay um so This is a move that Bayern Munich has also taken to try and encourage players to be vaccinated. Um, It seemed to have worked, the kind of conversations about their pay and also the fact that they need to recognise the kind of state Germany and Europe is in right now. It's going to be very hard for if Kimmich didn't catch COVID and we were a week ago, if... And the state of NRW wanted to go 2G in their stadiums and Dortmund say we're having 2G in their stadiums unvaccinated players can't play I think a lot of players will be quite frustrated if they weren't vaccinated to miss out on a game like that so it's just understanding the situation as well as the legal implications in that could make them lose their pay on top. So um, it seemed to be really good discussions. Um, There was five unvaccinated players, and out of those five included Gnabry and Musiala, who both decided to get vaccinated, um, having their first dose. Musiala was a bit harder for him because he was obviously 17, I think once the vaccination rollout started. So I think his one was just more a time-sensitive issue more than anything. And it sounded like Shupomoting and Kimmich as well were also looking to get vaccinated, but unfortunately um, COVID actually got them at the moment. So yeah, it's very, very um, important that those kind of rules and those kind of understandings and conversations have to take place. Otherwise they need to understand how big they might lose from missing out and being vaccinated, missing games, and obviously that pay.
0: And just about Bayern Munich and in specific terms here, do they seem like a team that can win the Champions League this season to you? Are there big questions that you have about this Bayern team right now?
2: Finally, the biggest question over Bayern is the COVID situation. And now... The other two and two of the players want to get vaccinated and the other two now have COVID, which means they're in in German terms, in German legal Corona protocol terms, they're basically covered for six months. This is before the new variant. So I will stop it there. Um, that's the, the biggest question I had over them. Their stats, their underlying numbers, the way that they play all improved on last season. They're blowing teams out of the water. No one comes close. The closest that someone comes, I think, is Mine's because Mine's don't weirdly don't concede many big chances, which which is why we're seeing this weird kind of merge of um, the top four. You've got like Freiburg nearby and Mine's nearby, um, so yeah, no one comes close to Bayern. And if you compare the table results to last season, they were one point behind. Leverkusen last year Christmas two years ago Gladbach were top and Bayern was third like two points or one points away so they've actually improved but it's not in the way people think or people have short memories that they think oh they're only one point ahead it's going to be a title race this season when really they're doing better than normal and people haven't realized that yet so yeah now that they look like Covid is going to be um, done for them because it gets through their team now, they'll probably be better protected than other teams come later the season.
0: Interesting. Um, whether it's Germany or, or Europe in general, are there any particular new tactical trends you're seeing lately that you find particularly interesting?
2: I think tactical trends, I've, I, to be fair, I've picked this up on Germany, maybe a little bit in England too, but Last season we had a very dominant 4-2-3-1 formation and what we're seeing this season is a lot more teams line up with two clear strikers. Um, I think the reason for this it was because the one, the one type of team those 4-2-3-1s couldn't break down was anyone with a back 3-5 and it was harder for them to do it. So teams were looking for more efficient ways to break those teams down. And those trends to actually... Come into the making are slow to develop. Um, and the way about breaking down those back three fives is always to go down a two striker route because two strikers pressing back three, it's easier to press them as they build up. And one of the clearest formations and tactical trends I'm seeing go that route is people turn their four two three one into a four diamond two. We saw it a bit with Dortmund and earlier the season before they reverted to a 433 um we're seeing it with like St Pauli as well in the second Bundesliga i know St Pauli is a favorite it's probably a favorite everywhere whoever's listening I love um them. <laughs> see i know. even you are a St Pauli fan St Pauli fans are everywhere um Outside of Germany. Um, so, yeah, you can actually see this kind of trend that more people are lining up with two strikers to break that down. Um, but I think pff, formations and tactics, I normally look at the majority of Germany because now it's what I know. And if I watch a different team from a different league, I switch off that part of my brain, so I have no idea what anyone else is doing. <laughs>
0: So we're wrapping up here with Jasmine Baba. Really appreciate you taking this much time. And I think one thing we like to do, um, a lot of our audience actually are students uh, who who want to get into the business, whether it's the soccer business, the media business, what have you. And so I always ask guests, what sort of suggestions, uh, advice would you have uh, for someone who wants to do what you do and also if you could just, you know, share a little bit about how this got started with you in soccer, because it's it's not a, a huge insight. You're you're one of just a very few women doing what you do as well. And and obviously we'd love to have more women doing what you do.
2: I get this asked all the time and I always really think about it. Now I I don't know how I end up anywhere. (laughs) I'm still pinched myself because it's only been like the last year I've really committed myself to doing this. Um, If anyone who knows me knows that I don't have a degree, I dropped out of university. I worked retail for five years. I worked in the gambling industry for another four before going to more editorial in the gambling industry, which is sports, um, that side. And I, it's not only a woman thing, it's also a person of color. I'm a woman of color, I'm neurodivergent. So I, it's like diversity across the board for me would be great. And I think people really down play networking and finding people who will back you. I've had so many contacts or friends who don't share the same enthusiasm I do with other friends who are trying to make something of themselves. It can be as little as uh, sharing your articles or sharing your research, um, passing on contacts, passing on jobs, uh, giving feedback. I get loads of people um, uh, tweeting me to read their stuff and I try and get through them all. It's hard when you have ADHD and you just read the first paragraph again and again. So if I get through it, like please thank me because I found it really hard to. Um, but find those people who will do that for you as well. Find people that, you can, that are on the same wavelength. Um, the beauty, everyone talks about the beauty of social media, but I've, I, that's what I've had to do. I've not had any other way. Um, if you write about interesting stuff and you keep it regular, Um, You will find people. People will be interested in the work that you do. And I think that is probably the biggest one. Um, I mean, that's how... That is literally how I got to meet so many wonderful people. It's how I got to meet my fiancé. And those people will prop you up and help you get where you want to be. Um, It's just... I I had so many incredible role models some of my jobs made me lucky to find people in media and content Um, but it's it's just um, you have to find those people who can work with you I showed what people what I could do and what I could do for them and it's and for some people it will be harder because they don't even know where to start from that if you there's so much incredible free data and if you want to start analyzing games go to youth games go to um women's games the cheaper ones cheaper tickets that you can just be at ground level and analyze it yourself someone out there will be interested in what you do so just keep doing it as long as it's not like terribly niche actually even niche stuff on twitter now goes now people will read about it so just make sure you shout about what you do and what you can offer and you will find people, I promise.
0: No, that's really helpful. Appreciate your sharing. Um, and what's sort of your football origin story? Like how, like how old were you when you got into it? How did that happen?
2: I was very young and I'm the youngest of four. So, and all my siblings were quite a bit older from eight to 13 years. And so if I was doing anything with my older siblings. If it was a weekend, the radio will be on um, talking about the Arsenal match. It was always constant and it was always a constant in my life. Um, It was the one thing that I bonded over with other people throughout my years in um, high school and, and it never went away. And I've had so many different kind of not abilities, but different kind of interests at that time. But football was going constant because it reminded me of my family. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was from 18 where I thought, oh, I can write on the side. I will just start my own little blog. And I've gone through like five different blogs, deleting them, changing my ideas every time. Um, And it wasn't until when I started working in, the gambling field and again my editing field that i started to take it a little more seriously that people would read me i've done volunteer work of writing for other bigger sites before which i know i appreciate not everyone will be able to do but um if you even get one with a slightly bigger following. If you're just starting out, that will give you a bit of leverage. Just don't overcommit to something that's free and that won't give you something back. That's my only kind of takeaway from this. Do not overburn yourself on people who will not push you where you want to be and get you money to live.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts and your story. Um, where can people find you on social media?
2: So on Twitter, I'm at Jasmine underscore BH1. Um, in my bio, there's a link to some of the tactical analysis stuff that I do. Um, as a hobby, you can find me on one of my articles every month on DW Sports as well. And on Instagram, you can also find me underscore Jasmine Baba Han.
0: Awesome. Well, Jasmine Baba is a football consultant, fixer, and tactics analyst. Jasmine, thanks so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having me again.
0: All right, let's bring Witty back in for segment three on the domestic scene. And Chris, let's start with the MLS playoffs. Um, You've had three of the four spots in the final four of MLS are set now. Let's start with the big upset of Sunday. Real Salt Lake 2 at Kansas City 1. Salt Lake is in the MLS semifinals. I don't call them conference finals for a reason, but just an amazing story that Salt Lake finds itself in this spot after the way they got into the postseason, after the way they advanced up in Seattle, and they pull it off again on Sunday.
1: And fair play to them because this was actually a better performance. This was a team outplaying another team, whereas I, I'm still... I, I know that it's funny because MLS uh, very often can tap into you know the comedic side of things, going, you know, what in the hell? But it offends me. It offends me <laughs> that a team advanced <laughs> in the MLS but all year... Seattle fought without Nicholas Ladero, Jordan Morris, Raul Ruiz-Diaz for long stretches. And they were eliminated in one game to, against a team that had zero shots. And I'm sorry. It just it infuriates me. It infuriates me that, 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 the, that the, the format can be so cruel as to knock out a team that did that much over the course of a regular season. But anyway, Paulo you know, Mestrini went from there. And they went and out played Sporting Kansas City for long stretches. And when they got the first, it kind of felt like they would go get the second. And, you know, it's a great story for Rail Salt Lake. Don't have an owner, even still. And maybe this puts them in the shop window. I, th- I think they've been linked uh, with the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. I saw that. That report was out there. And, you know, maybe this makes it a more attractive proposition. They're in the headlines. Certainly for Pablo Mastroeni, it kind of goes to show sometimes I do think we're a bit harsh on coaches that get fired in MLS and don't get a chance to go back and be the head coach. Mastroini, I think, was only ever going to get on this route if he took over as an assistant and then as an interim. I don't think anyone was ever going to hire Pablo Mastroini, but it kind of goes to show that that experience and his man management do have room in an MLS locker room, and certainly they've been better going forward than his Colorado Rapids teams were, but... You know, a team that was kind of hastily put together. A lot of people picked them to finish rock bottom of the Western Conference. And they've only kind of gone to the conference final or the MLS semifinals. And it's a remarkable story. Uh, But also there's the flip side of it, which is that Sporting Kansas City, again, disappoint in the playoffs and again at home.
0: Yeah, and that to me was the surprise, was that in the second half, Salt Lake was by far the better team. Uh, Great atmosphere in Kansas City. Just, uh... Yeah, uh, just another kind of punk end-of-season performance from Sporting, even after they got the lead in this game on the penalty. So um, I do want to give credit to Salt Lake for the way they played today. Totally different performance than the Seattle game. Uh, I still think that the the Brian Strauss idea, which I've laid out as well over the years, is a better playoff format than anything MLS has had, which is – Having a group stage, you have eight teams make the the final um, two groups, and you basically treat it like the old Confederations Cup, which was an eight-team tournament. You play a group stage, two teams come out of it. I'm sorry, four teams come out of it. You play a semi and a final, and there you go. But at least the group stage allows teams to have one slip-up in one game, uh, and in Survive still, and it also presents a higher hill to climb for the lower seeds because the way the group stage would work is the top seeded team would host all three of their group games, Mm. the lower, the lowest seeded team would have to go on the road for all three of their group games, so it would be harder than just a one game scenario for, um, you know, the teams that have been worse the whole season. Uh, to overcome the teams that have shown over a a 34-game regular season that they're the better teams over the long haul. I like playoffs. I want to have a postseason in MLS. It's an American league. But uh, I do find myself dissatisfied that so few number one teams from a conference have actually advanced to the MLS Cup final uh, in the last decade. The numbers are actually crazy at this point, and that's certainly not going to happen out of the West. I think you've got the four seed and the seven seed um, in the West final, the semifinal for the league. And then we'll see uh, Tuesday night is uh, New England far away, far and away the best team in the regular season, hosting NYCFC or New York City, as I've decided to start calling them, because I stopped, I kind of hate the name F- N- NYCFC. <laughs> um, but in any case, um, I do think this weekend was better in the MLS playoffs than, than what we've had until this point. Um, the late game on Sunday, uh, Philadelphia at home advances on penalties to the MLS semifinals over Nashville after a 1-1 game. And terrible penalties by Nashville in this game. 0-4, though Andre Blake deserve credit for just being immense, and I think he scared the bejesus out of them after that uh, when they were taking their penalties, Nashville. Um, and, you know, good atmosphere in Philly. What do you think about this game?
1: Well, certainly the, the the penalty shootout jumped out to me, but I really kind of appreciated the response from Philadelphia to going 1-0 down, because I, I thought when you go back to last year, the way that they got smoked out of the playoffs after winning uh, the abbreviated Supporter Shield by, you know, New England just ran them off the park quickly. And you wonder, them going a goal behind, how would they respond to it? And then they they, they get the goal before halftime. They were probably the the team more likely to get the second. But I thought Nashville was going to shut them down at 1-0. I also appreciate, I'm trying to find the quotes from after the game, uh, but Jim Curtin also had a go at uh, the notion of using penalties uh, to decide uh, to decide games. He goes, that was fun, but it was also very stupid. Uh, and he, he also <laughs> cited the other examples. You wouldn't end a basketball game on a three-point contest. You wouldn't. And he's done, he did the thing that a lot of people have talked about. But that's another one where we're just never going to solve extra time, I think, in soccer, just because you can't run the players into the ground. Uh, it's just too crazy. But look. Uh, the game was decided on penalties. I think Andre Blake, I voted for him for goalkeeper of the year. So uh, for me, he, he's definitely been a spectacular figure in this league. And that's kind of like his shining playoff moment. He had it in a Gold Cup final in the US, uh, you know, was it six years ago, I think, in in, in, a, in a Gold Cup final. But either way, uh, he's a great player, and and this is kind of his moment. And now Philly have a real chance here. They could potentially host a game of New York City win. Uh, then it's a, a home game for Philadelphia uh, in, in in the conference final. And that's uh, another remarkable story, a triumph of a club run well, uh, having some playoff success.
0: We did mention this also. On Thursday, Thanksgiving, Colorado, the number one seed out in the West, gets upset one nail by the Portland Timbers. The road warriors over the years in the MLS playoffs did it again. And this was another case where, similar to what happened in Kansas City on Sunday in the second half, Portland deserved to win this game.
1: Yeah, and it, unfortunately, all of the talking points about Colorado throughout the year, again, this is an enormously impressive feat for them to finish top of the West and to have it go down at the first hurdle has got to be a huge disappointment for them. But... All year long, we've talked about that team doesn't have a punish you attacker. Where if you make a mistake, they, you know, will will take advantage of the one chance that they get. And they go into this game without even starting the player who can kind of most be considered that in Michael Barrios. They went for basically an all energy and effort team, and they played pretty well as you mentioned for the first forty five minutes, but. You just don't feel with any of those guys on the field, Diego Rubio or Mark anthony Kay or Jack Price. Again, it's a great team, and they play a really good brand of soccer, and they deserve every bit of what they've gotten this year. But in single elimination settings, it's about the individuals, and Sebastián Blanco has been that guy for Portland. know Esprit has been that guy for Portland. They've got those kind of individuals where you go into a playoff format, and yeah, maybe at times throughout the year it was a bit bumpy for them, but you know that they have the individuals to get it done in a big moment like that. And I just don't think that Colorado do. And maybe if Stan Kroenke can go into the wallet and find, you know, four or $5 million to get a DP center forward in or a DP number 10 in, or hey, maybe perhaps both, they can take this team and take it to that next level because I really do think that they can hit that level. They just need that one or two, th- those one or two pieces to really make that leap forward.
0: By the way, Portland gets the fortune of Kansas City losing, so now Portland gets to host their MLS semifinal against Salt Lake. Um, they won't have Aspria, who got a silly red card, late idiotic in this game, um, and and. Sebastian Blanco, do we know anything about his injury situation?
1: Well, I we all we know is that he came off in the game, um but uh they and they also have the good fortune of having played on on Thanksgiving, but uh the the only thing that I've seen is that he left the field in tears. So maybe he knew uh that that was an aggravation of a previous injury that he's had. Uh certainly that would be a huge miss. Uh, For for Portland just in terms of creativity but is it one last ride for Diego Valeri maybe there's like I guess that would kind of be the one prayer you throw him out there in Portland I'm sure the crowd will go crazy for him but Blanco certainly looked like the guy that was going to lead them on their run and if he's unavailable that's certainly a huge hit and gives Real Salt Lake a chance maybe they can make an improbable (laughs) run all the way to the final
0: it's so wild. I mean, I, I would not have predicted. We've seen plenty of unpredictable stuff in the play, MLS playoffs over the years. I would not have predicted that none of Seattle, Kansas City, or Colorado would make the West final. They were the so MLS clearly they were
1: so clearly the class of the Western Conference. Yeah. Um, and uh, all it makes me think is New England are in trouble. <laughs> I, I think that's, I think New England that's your are response. In New England
0: are in trouble, as opposed to oh wait. New England now should have less in its way.
1: New England are in trouble. Careful with (laughs) NYCFC. I'm telling you, Grant, would not be surprised if the MLS Cup final was in your backyard at Yankee Stadium. I just wouldn't be. Uh,
0: Oh, I saw our friend Pablo Maurer tweet that he wants full MLS chaos. He wants to see (laughs) New York City hosting the MLS final against Real Salt Lake. And... My guess is the league office, while they'd be thrilled about a New York team being in the final, does not want to see that. No. Yankee Stadium's so bad for soccer. It's just the worst.
1: <laughs> I actually kind of like it.
0: <laughs> I do want to jump to the U.S. women's national team, which is in Australia with a young team, a next-generation team mostly. Uh, they beat Australia 3-0 um, in game one. Early goal from Hatch making your first start uh, for the U.S. Um, Great play in goal by Casey Murphy.
1: Yeah, makes eight saves on the day for the U.S. Women's National Team. And like you said, it's kind of a a next-generation team. And you start to look ahead, Olympics in the rear view, World Cup in two years' time, I think now is the time to start bleeding in younger players. And this is where you see the benefits of the club game on the National Team. Because I think... The national team particularly, like the US women's national team has been a club team for a really long time. And in some ways your form in you know, domestically is in that as long as you're fit, I think it's kind of always been understood we know who the best players are. And while we still sort of do, I do think that there is there should be more room for players who are doing well domestically. And that's why, you know, Ashley Hatch gets in and, you know, does a does a great job from the off. Uh, to to go and get you know her first goal inside of a minute, which is insane. Casey Murphy, who didn't play very much uh, for the national team, you know goes and gets eight saves, and so now all of a sudden you have a women's national team that is starting to represent the club. To, you know, domestic game. And I wonder if that carries when all the, quote, heavy hitters are available. Now, I can't imagine it will be a ton, but that's where, you know, spots in World Cup teams can be won. And who knows where the next U.S. women's national team hero emerges from. But you think of a player like Trinity Rodman deserves to get call in Hatch Murphy. Like, there are all kinds of players throughout the country that are not just the same women's national team players we've seen for a decade now. And you wonder, for vlad Andonofsky, like, wh- do you make a decision to, you know, bench Alex Morgan or Kristen Press for Ashley Hatch because she's playing well domestically. I, I don't know. That's a really tough decision to make or a listener in favor of Casey Murphy because she's playing better in the NWSL. I don't know, but uh, those are the kinds of things that would kind of make the U.S. women's national team feel more like a traditional national team.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that too. And, and mid Purse, by the way, was terrific. Uh, in this game the other day, playing on the front line, you know, like for me, the 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 only downer actually of this is that Katarina Macario has been in Australia, but and was going to start. Vladko Andonovski said in the number nine spot, which is Macario's preferred position. By the way, she's been sort of put at midfielder with the national team to this point. She's also been put at midfielder mostly with Lyon to this point. Uh, with Madri's injury over there. So, like, she would love to get a chance at the number nine. I'm sure she's bummed out that she missed this opportunity the other day. Just Sunday night, Vladimir Andonovsky had his press conference and said that Macario is going back now early to Lyon. Minor groin strain was the diagnosis, but she's not going to end up playing in either one of these games in Australia, which, you know... It's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. You do hope that she's not, that that this is just a minor injury because she's got big games going on for Lyon that she's been playing in, in Champions League, in the French League. Lyon is better this season than they were last season. They're sort of back toward where they were uh, during their five in a row Champions League uh, wins. They just beat PSG handily. The big question, obviously, in in European women's soccer is, you know, how good is Barcelona? And have they sort of totally left Lyon in the rearview mirror at this point? And we'll find that out maybe eventually. But I do get the sense right now that Lyon is at least back to being the best team in France, probably the second best team behind Barcelona uh, in europe and it's kind of cool to see macario getting this much playing time and she's had a good season there so far and the fact that we can watch these games now in the u.s on uh on dazn uh they have free women's champions league group stage uh, for at least a year or two before they go into a pay model um and then uh at a Football has the French Women's League, so you can see all these games. And, and I, I still think Macario is sort of undercovered, in part because the U.S. Women's National Team veterans have gotten so much attention in this Olympic year. I think Katarina Macario could be the best player in the world at some point, and I wouldn't say that about any other young U.S. player right now. One other bit of news, which I thought was interesting: Nani, they announced, is not returning to Orlando City. And I wanted to get your take on this. You're down in that part of the country. Uh, I, th- I think Nani's had a, a good MLS career uh, to the point where you could even call it a career and uh, tenure maybe is, is another word. But I thought he's, you know, done pretty well. And, and you could see from some of the messages that Daryl DK posted, he really appreciated Donnie as a teammate. Um, What's your sense of of this? And do you get the feeling that some of these MLS teams that have been bought recently for a lot of money at today's market that those new owners want to buy, in this case, the Wilfs, a designated player or more, like that is commensurate with what they spent on the team? In in other words of a level higher than Nani at this
1: point. Well, I I certainly do think that it's kind of going to be more run as, well, we're a sports team that's trying to win. And I think that a lot of teams that have spent, you know, big on DPs that have won well are, you know, teams that went to South America to find Miguel Almiron, to, to go to Mexico, to find Raul Ruiz Diaz, right? To find players that can perform at a really high level without necessarily that star power. And that's, I think, the thing that I find really interesting is that Nani, as you mentioned, is an example of a star player, massive pedigree, that rose the level of the people around him. Everything that I've heard about Orlando is that he's an incredibly determined professional, works really hard, kind of, you mentioned earlier that fitness of Cristiano Ronaldo. That ability is something that he has. And so... I I do think that it's not, you know, a a designated player situation like Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, they came here and just didn't do a lot. It was obviously retirement and they're moving on. But I I do kind of wonder in the MLS hierarchy, because those are still guys that drew headlines that draw attention abroad, are are MLS teams still going to go for, quote, big name DPs, attract the attention, uh, but they don't necessarily help you win. There's not really a ton of evidence really since Robbie Keane and David Beckham Those guys really help you win. It's a lot about finding good soccer players that work in the MLS environment, and I really do find interesting if teams are going to turn to those DPs ever again, or if maybe there's an age young enough where it's worth it, you can still win to pay a guy that kind of money. But I just don't know if there are going to be a lot of nannies coming to MLS, Are there going to instead be more $10 million transfers from South America for players that we might not have necessarily heard of, but... Can help you win.
0: It's interesting. I do look at Ibrahimovic and Carlos Vela as sort of the the type of uh, you know big name designated player, well known um, who you know they they did well in this league and their teams did well. Even Chicharito this season.
1: You have to you have to give him credit. He did well. yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, like, do you think Miami? Well, I I, <laughs> I guess I should put my thoughts in on this one. But like, I think mean, like Gonzalo Higuain, like. I don't know if Miami was going to spend that kind of money again, if they would make that decision again. Uh, I don't think if it were me that I would, I, I would put that money toward something else and, and watch Iguain prove me wrong. But I, I, I do find it interesting that there is a battle in philosophies between, you know, what you should be doing if you're going to spend money on, you know, a lot of money on players in today's MLS. And I think that's even more applicable to the ownership groups that have bought in at today's market prices. All right, Chris, fun to talk to you as always. Thanks so much. Thanks, Grant. I almost
1: said thanks, Chris. That would have been weird.
0: Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Jasmine Baba as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You can sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including magazine-style features and on-location stories for every U.S. Men's World Cup qualifier. We'll see you next time.